Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, welcome back. I'm JLD, and this is the Off The Real Podcast. This is part two of the Jeff Rockwell series. And if you didn't hear part one, you should definitely go check it out. We heard about early stories involving Memphis made fire, Crown the Empire. We learned where Forever the Sickest Kids got their name from, the making of the hit song Hey Britney, how the band was formed, and even the inside scoop on the million dollar deal with Motown Records. So go ahead and check that one out, but first, Check this one out. I'm JLD, and this is the Off the Real podcast. Enjoy. Tanner Patrick. Tanner Patrick. Let's, let's talk about you guys' interactions and how, uh, just how you feel he's doing today. Sure. Well, um, um, my basic interaction started with them um, back at Disco Curtis. They're just kids from Colleyville, you know, who, um, once again, we recorded at the house um, back then. Um, the... The first time that Tanner ever drove on his own anywhere was to drive to my house to record. Really? And That's so, a yeah, great story. So, so, yeah, he, I was like, you're kidding me. He goes, no, I swear to God, this is the first time I've driven by myself. Don't and that so, make so much sense for yeah. him, too? Like, <laughs> I was like, That's great. But, I mean, that's no, that's no easy stretch from, from Colleyville to, to, like, southwest Arlington. I mean, that's, I mean, that's... For, oh, I didn't realize it was that far. For a 16-year-old kid, you know, that's... It's a nice track. Know, he was like... I made it, you know what I mean? But yeah, yeah, he is, um, um, that was maybe, I, honestly, I think that was maybe the first band that I really felt comfortable with saying that, like, like this is going to work. <laughs> and, and so, um, because um, we would do pre-production for their um, songs and, and, like, demos and things like that at their church. That's where they practice and stuff. And so I would go up there and they would ask me, like, you know, you know what do we need to, what do you do? Just kind of you know this and this. They're just you know you know just nervous being kids. And I was like, believe I I I tell you, like if you guys just keep playing together, you keep doing your thing. Like this is gonna work. Like you're already. I mean, AJ was already maybe the best drummer in the area. Really? Yeah. I mean, the guy was, was like so good. his technique was perfect. He just had, he had he had a great feel for the sound. He was he was doing like salesman type stuff, but it Looked wasn't cool. like. Yeah, yeah. I, and and um, he wasn't like overplaying at the same time. It was it was real tasteful. And Garrett is like just I mean he was an absolute monster. He was like this prodigy kid, you know, playing guitar. They were all they were all at the top of like yeah, the yeah, game. Yeah, so it yeah. was like, and they were writing cool songs, and and we were doing some cool stuff together. So it was like you just if you just keep like we're doing this now, like if we just keep you know we just keep going you know. Then you're gonna be fine, and so so their first band was actually called Outlet. And they changed the name to Disco Curtis after that, 
But um, that was, yeah, that was probably the first band that I felt good about saying, like, you, if you just keep going, like, this will work for sure. thing about Tanner that I th- always thought was cool is always, like, asking questions, like, tell me, well, how do you do this, da 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 And he, you knew, like, this kid's going to take over. Like, no matter what he does, he's going to be really good at yeah. it. Well, um, he was a sincere kid too. And that very, yeah, very. And um, we, um, by the time that Disco Curtis came around, um, this was something that that we did. We we basically did a production deal where it was like, okay, um, they they didn't necessarily have money to come out and like record all these songs and, and like do all the stuff that that they wanted to do. But I was so sure that it was going to work. I basically was was. Um, willing to say, okay, you know, I'll come and record the thing, we'll work a deal, get you guys a deal, then then I get paid from that, and um, I get to work on your next record, that kind of a thing. And so they were like, yeah, sure, sounds good to me, right? You know, and so that's where that Disco Curtis EP came out of, that that production deal. And so that was, that was at the time, I just moved to my, I had just moved to from Arlington to Fort Worth, my first Fort um, um First place of my own in Fort Worth. That was at Skylab, right at right at right downtown, right across from the uh, Union Gospel Mission, and um, did a ton of great records there. But yeah, um, on the way to one of our first sections, I actually got like I was in downtown because I was like shipping. I, I was I was I was faxing a I was faxing like a contract to somebody, and I like pulled out in front of a city bus, and I like I, I like got hit by the city bus, and I got, I got hit by a Fort Worth city bus in downtown Fort Worth. <laughs> Like my car didn't busted like halfway down the block. People went flying all over the bus, and like I thought I was gonna go to jail. I was like, oh my gosh, I just destroyed this thing. My car was all busted up, but but miraculously, like nobody was hurt. I wasn't hurt, so I just kind of like drove my busted car a couple blocks to the studio and just said, I just got hit by a bus, but I think we should just we should just keep going. <laughs> and so that was kind of the surreal moment where I was like, I should probably be at the hospital right now, but I'm here making records, and um, that's kind of. That's kind of the one funny story from um, the production of that. But so did you, so did you get that call from Interscope? Like I want these guys. Did you get to deal with Interscope? Yeah. Well, um, this is where it gets a little sticky. Um, people who know me know this story because I, I I don't usually tell. Okay, I don't know anything about it, so I wasn't yeah, asking cool. no, around no, the corner. It's cool. No, and um, um, but so my manager at the time his name was Andrew Brightman. He's maybe the most plugged in guy like in LA, like music wise. Um, he now manages Dave Cobb, who's done all like the Chris Stapleton stuff, all of Sturgill. He's, I mean, he's he's the man. The guy, he can get he can get a meeting anywhere, get me anything. And so um, he was managing me at the time. So um, we recorded the EP. I called him. I was like, Hey, I got this thing that I think is really good. These kids, I mean, they're, they're just kids, but they're they're like um, got a good sound. Um, they they got some real initiative. They were like touring like hot topic stores, doing acoustic stuff on their own. I was like. They get it, you know what I mean? They got it. These yeah. kids get it, and they have a good sound. That was obvious. Right? Do you think that we could find somebody, um, find a label who would like this, who would try to get down with this? And he goes, yeah, see what we got, you know? And so he then sent it out to pretty much, you know, pretty much anybody that he could think of, too. And, and you know, his Rolodex is, is stacked, you know what I mean? So, and so um, we did it, um, getting a call back from a guy named Todd Parker. He emailed me. Todd Parker from Interscope Records, MySpace and Interscope. They were doing a joint venture at the time. They had like Sherwood, and they had that, they had the girl from One Tree Hill, uh, Kate Vogel, I think, yes. at the time. And yeah, and so um, 
they were trying to look for look for a band like them for for that joint venture for um, for Interscope, and so um, he was super interested. He was like, "This is this is good stuff. I, I think we can make this work." And um, he wanted to come see the band, and so I was like, "Yeah, that's yeah, of course." They had a hometown show coming up in Dallas. I can't remember. It was some kind of. It was like it was kind of deep Elmish. It was, I think maybe Mocha, Mocha. Not there was something something, coffee related. Yeah. But it wasn't like a coffee shop. It was right. a venue, and so um, it's probably not there anymore. But um, um, Todd Hume, I, I picked him up. We went and ate barbecue and just like kind of hung out. Started talking about the band. But Todd was not the only label guy at the show. Really? Um, no, um, because independently, their manager had brought in the guys from Hopeless who were there. Oh, nice. And so, and um, those guys all know each other because Hopeless um, had just joined, uh, they had just completed a joint venture with, with All Time Low and Interscope together. And so they were working that record yeah. together. There was one big family that they were all here at this you know, show to see Disco Curtis. And the freaking show was just, they absolutely, they nailed it. It was a great show. Kids everywhere. Kids, like, with their parents, like, lining up to get autographs. I mean, you could just see, you could just see their mouths just watering. And so, you know, it was like, duh. I mean, the deal was basically done, like, right then and there. It was like, they were already going to do it, you know, pretty much. But, like, that just completely sealed it. And, yeah, and so, so with with the, the, uh, Power of the major label. Todd Parker, being a being a production guy, he was um, he worked for John Feldman. He was you know I mean he, he was a band guy. Yeah. He got it, and so um, they decided to do um, do that deal with Interscope, and um, um, and so while my team did set that all up, we we um, through you know through no control of my own, we I, we we basically. Um, we kind of got into a little bit of a, a little bit of a tussle with them because they, um, I, I'm trying to say this in the right way without, you know, I mean, time has healed a lot of this. So it's, I mean, it's, it's water under the bridge, but, um, yeah, they, um, I think their parents and like their management and stuff kind of felt that, that when I came to them and said, Hey, I, I'm, yeah, you don't have money to do this, but I'll do this if you just pay me later. I think they thought that that was me, like taking advantage of these kids, and coming in and, and like trying to you know, you know trying to like latch on to them, which you know, if you don't know the business, I guess maybe you, and, and you're completely one sided. But like they also don't see the emails that I'm emailing to Todd Parker and my manager, who when he found out about this absolutely hit the freaking roof. Like I imagine you know, and he absolutely went insane. He was like, "Do they understand what they're doing? Like these are our, these are my people. Like Todd Parker is my person. You know what I mean? Like these are our people. Like you don't treat people like this." And I'm sitting here, like this is the first deal that I've ever had like blow up in my face. I, I mean, because as far as I was concerned, this thing worked. You know what I mean? It, it worked like super, super <laughs> oh, well. Sucks. And then and it it worked, and it was just like this thing. It was like, all right, that's cool. Um, Let's go forward with the deal that we worked. Let's get working on the next record. Like, let's do this. Like, let's 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 hit the gas. And then for and then then to be like, well, hold on a second here, um, was just it, maybe it was the biggest like gut punch of my entire like professional life. I, I I didn't understand it at the time. I was just like, I've never been so blindsided by something because I just mentored these kids up and they just had concerns. Like it was production was taking a long time to do this. You, you know. 
to do on on the first hand, and uh, I think that the manager might have gotten their ear and said that I was trying to take advantage of them, which, I mean, I was the one who did my part. I brought, I mean, I, I mean the guy who signed them was my guy, and, and they released the album as is. Interscope released the EP. They didn't even remaster it. <laughs> like they didn't even give it to their guys to re to remaster. Like they even they even used the master from Crystal Clear here in Dallas. Like that is a Dallas record. And um, you know, I felt like I did my part at the time, and they they just saw it differently. And um, um, I ended up settling with them. Uh, part of that was me not being able to work with them anymore. And like that was like. That was the hardest thing in the in, ever for yeah. me to swallow. I just could not believe that something that had worked so well had gone so south so quickly. And so wow. that was that that doesn't necessarily like bother me necessarily today, but like that still like stands out as like one of the moments where it's just like, gosh, like that's really sucked. And um, time has healed a lot of that stuff. Have you uh, spoke with any of those guys? Sure. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And. Um, um, Tanner more than the other folks. We we would get we get together and play racquetball. Like after that, you know, we would just talk about a bit his solo stuff. Seems and like we a talk really about cool all of his, kid. Yeah, and he um, just does. he's a pretty well adjusted guy, and um, and, and he um, he was always and part of the reason the band Disco Curtis didn't really work its thing was I, I think because they were really trying to find like a hit and um, the. Once you sign a major label deal, like it's it's super difficult from that standpoint. Uh, like that's just the beginning of this huge rat race, basically. Okay. And and kind of in today's music market, where it's like um, you sign a major label deal, like you need a hit, or you're gonna get dropped. Bottom like, line. That's it. They're not into artist development. They're not into it. And so um, what they did with Disco Curtis was like, okay, that's cool. Um, let's have you. Let's have Tanner go co-write with all of these, you know, these ace like LA writer guys. That, yeah. And so he they were doing that for a long time and just and came up with a couple of things and then the production on it and the songwriting just kind of fell flat. It, it was um they did like two songs that kind of came out and it was, it was like eh, that's cool, but I mean it wasn't it wasn't the hit, right? It, it wasn't the hit that they were looking for. And then ultimately that whole process just got got to be really tedious for the rest of the band and just kind of like, yeah, this, you know, and then it just kind of went and that whole, um, well, could just run its course. And then Tanner, Tanner did a solo thing and obviously that's worked out super well for him. He's done the YouTube thing and it's, you know, it's, you know he's, he is, he, he has been doing it, is doing super well. He also does his own, own original stuff. I'll talk to him every once in a while on Twitter and we'll just kind of, you know, go back and forth. But that's, um, that's kind of that story in a nutshell. But I mean, really talented guys. I, I'm, I think AJ played for the Rockets summer for a really? while, yeah. Could and um, Garrett, uh, Garrett went to school out in out of Nashville, I think. And you know, still just an amazing guitarist. That's and awesome. it's just you know, Cal, the guy who played guitar, who we haven't really mentioned a whole lot. He's a photographer. He's he's an incredible photographer, and he just does all. And then Brendan, you know, right, yeah, yeah. Which we segue into the heavy music side of this thing, you, you know. Became the brains behind Crown the Empire, who was, you know, who was that, maybe the biggest band to come out of here in a long right. time. So, yeah, that's insane. A couple more things before uh, you guys kick me out of here. Um, <laughs> you ever EKG? Yeah, that's that was fun, right? You talked to those guys, <laughs> and I wish we had a video to capture uh, the the reaction from that. 
This is an entire podcast. This is. Oh, I can tell this story. I, I try to give you the condensed version. Before I said that the Disco Curtis like thing kind of going south was like was like my first real like gut punch. You know, in, in terms of career and things are not going right. EKG was like was. If Disco Curtis was a gut punch, EKG was like a phone booth being thrown on me. It was like, it was something Mortal that... Combat move. It, it, it was a finish move. It, it was, was a total... <laughs> it was the finish move. It was the Raiden finish move, Mortal oh, Kombat man. style. And um, basically, there was a band from Arkansas called um, Alert All Arms. They were doing like an emo thing or whatever. And they had, they had demos on... Like a side project that was like a joke project that was them just rapping and them just being just being stupid and having having a good time and I was like, this stuff is legit. This is fun. Like that's good stuff. And they were friends with Schoolboy Humor and whatever. And so, this was during like the heyday. This, um, this is when I was I was I was doing, I was doing two EPs a month. I was like, I was absolutely doing it. any kind of power I think I get my hands on. I was working bands from Canada. I was gonna work with a guy from Turkey until that kind of fell through. Like it was, this was a global phenomenon. So I was super busy at that point, and and um, I kind of kind of got the idea to kind of expand. While I had that position of strength, I was like, all right, so, so I'm gonna start a label, and so and and I did, I'm gonna do the development on my own. I'm gonna do like the branding on my own. Use my manager, use my team to shop it in the backside. And then I'm gonna use like I'm gonna I'm gonna do my own um, um, my own imprint through that, and it's gonna work. And um, I can develop my own bands, have money from that side of it, and just like that's what I'm gonna do, you know, you know. And um, so when when the the whole power pop rat race is over, I can have that to kind of do my own thing, like whatever I want. Um, I can have that pipeline develop whatever I want. And so that was. That was the big plan behind the label. It's called Chaos Theory, and so that was my label. And so, um, um, through a couple of different channels, I met a guy who was willing to fund it and everything. So, um, I came to EKG. I was like, I've got a guy who wants to fund this thing out. Um, bring you guys down for a couple of weeks. We'll make we'll make an EP. We'll do we'll do this thing. And this is the plan. This is what I want to do. And so. We did that, man. Just had a just had an absolute blast, and those guys were just some of the, they're some of the funniest guys like on the planet. Just hysterical guys, like really, really, really great dudes. And um, um, had a great time making that first EP. Um, then they um, we kind of shopped that around, kind of started that started that a little bit, um, put out some feelers, say, hey, we're doing this kind of a thing, and so people kind of. People kind of took notice of it, and so we planted a lot of good seeds with it. And then um, eventually, well, we we had a little bit of a legal mess with their lawyer, who was kind of a moron. Um, who um, you, you know, he was he thought he was looking out for them, but like he wasn't. So like him and my investor guy got like crossways, and the EP ended up getting shelved. Really? Like yeah, like um, because. <laughs> because um, the lawyer wanted to come in and change the change the deal that we had agreed to in principle at first. So we kind of did a handshake deal. It was like, okay, here's the point of the label. This is how much you get. This is how much we're going to get. This is not like a production deal. Like, like I have funding. Like, this is a record label. Yeah. Like, we have an accountant. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, this is, this is the deal. And so um, their lawyer 
wanted to change the deal to more of like a net proceeds thing, which was basically like a 50-50 split, which for, for my investor is not what he signed up for. That's not what I sold him on. That's not what the band said said sure to. But, but I mean, they were just kind of being premature, mm -hmm. I guess. And so they everybody got crossways, and it was this giant mess. And so I basically was... After like months, I was able to like slowly convince the investor that it, it, it would be a good idea to, to at least put this out and to kind of see how it goes. Because we had, we'd only shopped it um, in back channels up to that point. And so um, after months and months, I finally got him, um, got him to give the go ahead for us to release it. And so once it did, it was like, hey, this, people like this. It's pretty, it's pretty cool. This could, this could actually work. And so then... The investor guy, he sees that that's working. He's like, okay, um, I'm back in. Let's do a deal like this, and then let's get an album done. And I was like, great idea. And so, and so with the money that, that um, he invested in the label, we, we basically moved them down here. We, we got a house for them in the colony, put a deposit down on like a rental house for them, um, they were all gonna come down and get jobs and, and, and like work the band here just as a local band. We we're gonna work on production at the time, and so so we did that for a couple months, and we had showcases set up out in LA. We had like um, we had an album like in the can, like done, like full length album and all new stuff. It was like all right, sweet, like this is this is gonna be great. And so um, um, the Right, I, I, I'm talking about weeks before. I mean, weeks, like maybe two weeks leading up to like those showcase dates. Um, the lead singer guy, I, I mean, who's been friends with these guys forever, kind of decides that he's just not happy with kind of like the lifestyle, like the band lifestyle, and they may be doing, they may be, they may be a little bit crazy, but I mean, they're, they're not doing like heroin or anything, you know what I mean? But um, he didn't feel like that environment was, you know, good for him. That that um, the environment they were living in, and so I was like, okay, let's let's meet up, let's talk this out. And so, all hands on deck. I went up to the freaking colony. We sat down in their living room, and I was like, all right, let's talk this out. You know, like what needs to happen? Because we are weeks out from major label showcases. We've got an album in the can. Um, this thing fell through once before, a long time ago. I revived it on my own reputation, and there's a lot of money that's not mine, that's somebody else's that's put into this, so um, let's make this work. What needs to happen to make this work? And so we laid out kind of a bunch of plans and guidelines and things like that for for the house and, and for the band as far as conduct goes, and um, um, I kind of left that meeting with an understanding that, okay, you know, crisis averted, they're going to work it out. We're, we're going to work it out. Their best friends have been since they were kids. Like, they're going to work this out. These guidelines, everybody will stick to it. Everybody knows how serious it is. You know, this is not just some band that you're starting in the garage. Like, there's money involved. Like, you move, you move down here from your home. <laughs> you know, to be here to start this thing, you know, people are, people have, have invested themselves money and time into this. And, and they invested their own money and time into it as well. You know what I mean? It ain't free to do any of this stuff. And so um, left the meeting with the understanding that that was good. And um, a band super, super generously gave me, um, gave me a ticket, just kind of as a bonus, um, gave me a one 
a one uh, one single ticket to go see the Rangers in the ALCS in in uh, 2010, and I was like, "That's awesome! This is great!" And so um, we wrapped up the project because my studio um, at the time was back in Arlington. We shared a parking lot with the ballpark. It was right on ballpark and 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 Randall Mill right there. Okay. So um, I had a studio location there for about three months and then the whole thing fell through totally different story but um so yeah so finished this uh week-long session with this band they surprised me with the bonus ticket to the freaking alcs which is right across the streets so we finished the session at the end of the day man and i get i just walk over to the ballpark i'm like on cloud nine right feeling this good. is great I'm feeling really good and man i get a call from the drummer of ekg caleb and he's like yeah why are you at the game no, yeah. While I'm at the game, he calls me and is like, "Hey, uh, Jacob just packed up his stuff and just moved back to Arkansas. Like, he's gone." <laughs> and I'm just like, <sighs> just absolutely beside myself. I mean, unbelievable. And it was that. It was. It was at that moment. Uh, I mean, we tried to revive the project in a couple different ways, and I tried to revive the label through a couple different things, but. Looking back on it, like that was the catastrophic moment. Like that was where my that was where my label died. Like right there, it, it died on the table, dead on arrival, and it was just uh, could survive those those two big giant giant catastrophes. The guy with the money, obviously, I had to I had to you know walk into him and be like, this happened again, and there's nothing I can do about it. We even tried like different singers. We tried everything to re to revive it. He didn't want to let it go, and I was and I, I I had to tell him at one point. I was like, "If you put any more into this, like, you're just, it's just going to get deeper. Like, you should you should probably." It has to be frustrating with so many bands that who who would die for that opportunity. Tens, tens of thousands of dollars wasted on on the promotion of this thing, and he was he was all in too, and. Um, you know, I mean, the rest of the band isn't the fault. I'm, you know, I mean, I was learning the whole thing because I never started a label before. So I was learning how to um, function as like a label, you know, head. I was learning how to deal with people and personalities and stuff. And, um, everybody who was involved in the process was still learning. So we all made mistakes, you know, and people are going to make mistakes. But that, um, those, those mistakes, those, um, those personnel issues that just couldn't get past, like that was, that was the nail in the coffin, and so that was the last time that, that was the last time that I did that, and you know, I'm, it was, yeah, it was massive, massive, massive failure. But I mean, that happens. Nobody's, nobody's ever gone through music without having no. some kind of failure like that, without really trying, you know. And so that was, um. I was super, super disappointed that, that, that I couldn't at least come through for my investor to give it a shot. Because it's one thing to take a shot, to have a shot, to miss it. But, but, but it's another thing to, to get everything set up and to not even really... See what could happen. Not even really try. And it was like that, that killed me that there was a guy who believed in me enough and, right. and believed in me enough um, to get this product to market. Um, to get these guys to you know, you know you know get on the same page, there was a guy who believed in me enough to do that that he would put you know tens of thousands of dollars into doing this thing the right way too. There, there wasn't you know it wasn't you know some kind of thing where I had to scratch and claw for every single dime from him. Like he was not like, I mean 
he didn't open up his life savings to us, but, but like, um, he was also, but, but, but he was very generous with us, you know? And so that, that, that really like, I mean, that, that's still hard for me to swallow like today, just even talking about it. Like that's hard to, to know that somebody's out there, you let somebody down like that. Even though I didn't, I mean, I didn't pack up and leave Arkansas, but I mean, without me starting the label, none of that happens. (laughs) And so it's still, it's still at my feet at the end of the day. And so talk to those guys. Oh yeah. I mean, um, I've talked to everybody except really Jacob (laughs) and the band pretty much disowned him at that point. They've been friends for their entire lives and like they, they're, they're not friends, but, um, all those guys, all those guys uh, moved out to LA. Oh, nice. Um, Caleb is a producer and songwriter. Um, he's got he's got a licensing deal. He does he does pretty well. He does some really cool stuff. Um, uh, Matt, who's a guitar player, like this, a guitar wizard. He's at like this animation school, which is like it's like one of the top animation schools in the world. Like you graduate wow. from the school, like you you immediately get a job somewhere it's animation. Insane, yeah. And he was he was always a really really good artist. He did. Um, Kind of great art for the band. He's like he's a next level artist. Like his talent on that is, he's better at that than I will ever be at anything. You know what I mean? He's he's one of those guys who's just like one percent talent. That's insane. And, that, and then um, Justin, who is the rapper guy, he moved out there too. He does uh, he does video work and all kinds of stuff. And they're they're all they're all happy to be out west. They're happy to be out of Texas. None of them. They all have very, very bad memories of Texas, and I and I, I, I think they all would be glad to never come back, which is kind of sad. But I mean, at, at that point, I kind of have to understand it, you know. I, I mean, this was this was a huge failure for them as well, and so, so it's like, you know, yeah, they, they're not big. Texas well, there it is, folks. That's a wrap on the second part. But don't fret. We saved the best for last with an up-and-coming superstar. She was top 10 competitor on The Voice and had what was critically acclaimed and considered Song of the Year by some with the record Blue. We talked Reagan James and also about one of the coolest rock bands out. We also dropped exclusive information that you were here first about the band Kid Liberty. So come back, come back, come back. And don't, don't. Don't forget to subscribe and tell a friend to tell a friend. I'm JLD and this is the All For Real Podcast. This has been Globe Media Network Podcast.